1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello and welcome to an episode of the New Books and Literary Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Britt Edelin, and today I am joined by Rachel Zolf. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Britt. It's great to have you here. Um, So, Rachel um, is an artist, a poet, who's Um, quoting directly from their website, whose interdisciplinary practice explores questions about history, knowledge, subjectivity, responsibility, and the limits of language, meaning, and the human. Um, and we're going to talk about all of that as we discuss their, their new book out through Duke university press. Um, it's called no one's witness, a monstrous poetics. Um, it's a great book. I, I loved it so much, and I'm so excited to talk about it with you today. Um so Rachel, as we as we begin this interview, I want to ask about um the book's origins, um, but mainly or not mainly, also your origins. How did you come to this position of thinking? What's your background? And then how did you get into writing this specific text?
1: Sure, yeah. Um so I'm a poet. Um, and I guess this book we're talking about, No One No One's Witness, it's it's just my it's like my seventh book. And so it's 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 kind of a, a culmination of my thinking as a writer and maker over the past twenty five or so years, and I mean there's there's so much thinking that goes into our creative practices, like so much, and, and for poets in particular, so much thinking about what language can and cannot do, and only some of it can come through in a book of poems or or even several books. So I wanted to write down in a, in a prose forms um, some of my thinking on on making on, on poesis, which means making. I, and on becoming which is um, you know something I've thought about forever and so I've always been a, a theory nerd um, I find you know reading good theory kind of more interesting than even like reading most poetry for example <laughs> and um, I'm also a bit of an aut- autodidact so like a number of Canadian poets including like Lisa Robertson and Aaron Moray, I don't I don't have a BA um, or standard academic trajectory um, but all of my books have been informed by my study of various theoretical works. So I actually consider No One's Witness like a poem. Like It's a kind of poem for me, even though an earlier version of it fulfilled the parameters of my PhD dissertation at the European Graduate School, which is a school for theory nerds and, and some autodidacts. And so where I went so that I could write this book and, and get an accreditation that could help me find work, blah, blah, blah. But um, I'm not I'm kind of not interested in genre distinctions or academic hierarchies. I just sort of wrote the book I needed to write and every book I write, every project I undertake is very different from the one before in, in form generally, though linked in terms of the trajectory of my thinking. So I'm always trying out new things like in my last project, um, Janie's Arcadia. I, I made not just a book of poetry, but I made a film and a sound performance and these polyvocal poly- political actions and charged spaces in relation to settler colonialism in North America, particularly Canada, so No One's Witness is very different from my other projects, but it's also of a piece with them. And, and you know, as I said, I wanted to write down in a prose form some of my thinking on making, on, on poesis, and on becoming. And the conduit for me was my relation to three lines that end a poem by Romanian-Jewish Nazi Holocaust survivor Paul Celan, and one translation of which is, uh, into English, is No One Bears Witness for the Witness. So the standard meaning of these three lines is that no one can or should bear witness for the witness, you know, that it's impossible to bear witness for the dead, which is, which is a standard truism of thinking about the Nazi Holocaust. But when I first read these three lines long ago, I thought I thought of no one as a kind of figure or a non-figure who actually does bear witness for the witness. And um, I was just I've been puzzled by this conundrum for like ten years. So I'd, you know and I, and, and I've been and at the same time because I've been interested in, around that or longer um, in the in the figure of the Muslim man, um, which translates as the Muslim, um, which is a figure uh, from the Nazi camps. Who's basically, uh, you know, a prisoner, um, generally Jewish, who's supposedly um, living dead. You know, um, not like a zombie, but kind of. But a, a being who, like theorist Giorgio Agamben, deemed was a complete. He called he called that being a complete witness to the camp experience because they had lost all spark of life and could not speak or bear witness. So they they the witnesses in in his formulation is the person who can't or the figure who can't bear witness. So I believe that this thinking was flawed and, and that it was possible to bear witness under extreme subjection, but that the witnessing may not be immediately intelligible um, in standard language forms. And, and so I struggled for a long time to think through how to theorize the speech of this no one figure, the speech of the Jewish Muslim. Muslim. And I had a breakthrough when I read Alex Wohelier's Wah- book, Habeas Viscus: uh, Racializing Assemblages, Biopolitics, and Black Feminist Theories of the Human. In which Waeheli draws a Muslim man into the realm of Hortense Spillers' black notion of black flesh that speaks and weeps and binds people together. So I, d- I decided to write a book that went beyond the, kind of the tired notions of the Nazi Holocaust as an exceptional event, a, a, or a book that honored black studies of how, how black studies has always confronted the ongoing, not exceptional or one-time disasters of this world, particularly transatlantic slavery and its afterlives amid ongoing colon- colonialism. So I took each word in the three lines of Salons as a jumping off point to think about no one as a figure beyond the cliché notions of the poetry witness and beyond the tired binary of I and you, um, the ethical I and you. To think of no one as a possible place of speech that was not one, but plural, not centered on the self, a becoming otherwise that performed impossible acts, not constantly producing connection and change. So in this journey, I was really influenced by the work of black theorists like Fred Moten and Denise Ferrer da de Silva whose work is all about undoing the self and connecting across difference. So the book is in many ways an homage to Black Thought. And as part of that homage, I use a method of layered quotations from the theorists that influenced me.
0: I really like that you are referring to this, um, your book, which reads like theory, but it also reads like a poem, and you're calling it a poem. Um, and you, you do that throughout the book. Um, it makes me think of when Wittgenstein says, you know philosophy ought to be written as jokes i think i I think philosophy ought to be written as poetry, and I think I'm a theory nerd, and the theory that I'm always drawn to is philosophy i mean not philosophy it's like written like poetry it's it's beautiful um and it does something in its beauty and on the topic of of poems um before we get into a more detailed discussion, I'd like to read the the Ceylan poem from which you draw your title um
1: can I just say something? That yeah. Wittgenstein Ritken- actually said that philosophy should be written as poetry. He actually said that it's in my book. Oh. <laughs> as a poetic composition. So there you go. There you- oh my gosh. And, uh, oh, a- I'm
0: totally fusing two quotations of him.
1: Because <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. he said you could write philosophy, an entire philosophy out of jokes. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. You got so it. Could, so would Freud say that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. Uh, 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 well No, it's good. Wittgenstein, Wittgenstein already said it. I, I'm not a big Wittgenstein person. so It's fine, whatever. Nor right. am
0: I. Um,
1: <laughs> thank you for
0: correcting that. Um, there are a lot of Wittgensteinians here at, at Duke and I, I don't want to upset them. But we'll, we'll read the poem. Um, edit
1: that out, edit it out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that can't, that, I don't want that following me around anywhere. Um, we'll read the poem um, and I'll read it. Um, I always think, I mean, when poetry is in translation, I, I do think there's some kind of, responsibility to the original, but the German, um, especially with Paul Celan, what he's doing with the language, I, I always think you have, you have to have some recourse to the original. Um, so I'll read the original German and then we'll have you read it in translation. Um, I'm not sure who has the translation in the, in the appendix of your book, whether it's Hamburger or Joris, I'm assuming it's, it's Joris, yeah. Joris. Okay. It's that, A great translator. Um, that. one of the, one of the better ones I would say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, so here is, um, in the German, Aschenglory. Aschenglory hinter deinen erschüttert-verknöteten Händen am Dreiweg. Pontisches einstmals. Hier ein Tropfen auf dem ertrunkenen Ruderblatt. Tief im versteinerten Schwör rauscht es auf. Auf dem senkrechten Atemseel, damals höhere als oben. Zwischen zwei Schmerzknoten, während der Blanke, Tatarenmond zu uns heraufklomm, rub ich mich in dich und in dich. Aschenglory, hinter euch dreiweg Händen, Das, vor euch vom Osten hin Hingewürfelte, furchtbar. Niemand zeugt für den zeugen.
1: Okay, so the translation the Jones's Zurich, translation I'm going to read is from Breath turn into Timestead the collected later poetry that came out a couple years ago because his translations keep changing, so mm-hmm. this is the one he he sat with for this book, the latest book. Ash glory behind your shaken knotted hands at the three way. Hauntic erstwhile here A drop on the drowned rudder blade. Deep in the petrified oath, it roars up. On the vertical breath rope in those days, higher than above, between two pain knots, while the glossy Tatar moon climbed up to us, I dug myself into you and into you. Ash, glory, behind, you three-way hands that cast in front of you from the east terrible no one bears witness for the witness
0: so it's that's it's a great poem um and I I remember reading it for the first time in a Ceylon class that I took a few like four years ago and it's like all of his poems it's something that you have to sit with and it's it's hard to understand and I think that's Kind of part of the point. Um, and it, it screws with language in, in lots of different ways. And, and poetry is, is made of language. It's what we pay attention to. Um, and I think Ceylon, who wrote in many different languages, was very aware of the different ways that things could be translated. He was a translator himself um, and how the translations bring out different things in the original. Um, so I, I want to start off by talking about those last three lines and kind of how they relate to witnessing and and testimony and what it means, um, because in the original German um, we have these things that you're you're working with. So, well, starting with the word niemand, um, it's a it's you t- you say it's an impossible to translate word um, because in English it's it's it can be no one. Um, it's been rendered no space one you translate it and say capital N no capital O one um, and there's a, an erosion of the self and then in the other it's not the other most important word but it, it's an important word zeugt um, witness you have um, you have the term zeugt or zeugen which means to produce or to beget. Um, and then to bear witness or to witness, there, there are different ways to translate that. Um, and then we also have the word testimony that comes up um, kind of in a related term where you're drawing out the idea of testimony as having a third as being related to testis, which is in, in the masculine or the male, as well as um, terstis and these this turning and the torsion of the words. Um, so I'm wondering how can we, draw out these topics just from a,
1: a linguistic
0: standpoint <laughs> um,
1: yeah I mean I guess Derrida uh, says these three lines resist even the best translation and I think I op- opened the book with quoting that pretty early on and it's um, you know like the best poetry so so for me the line, um, you know his the I actually didn't read a lot of salon scholarship I used to read it more I'm just I'm personally not interested in figuring out like I'm I'm not a new critic I, I'm not interested in figuring out each association <laughs> which you know where it fits in his biography like I'm interested in what he does with language I'm interested in how he breaks the German language like mm-hmm. like and you know in his own mother tongue but it's not as much you know it's it's he's other in that mother tongue and so I'm interested in his neologisms, which is common, you know, his new words that he creates, um, which there's examples of in this book. But so for me, um, you know, jumping off what I kind of already said around Niemann, like I, that I when I first read it, because in German um, nouns are capitalized. I mean, it does happen that because it's at a new stanza and the end of, of Niemann and no one is capitalized, but even if it was actually in the middle of this, of, this, of the line, it would be capitalized because it's a noun in German. And um, because I, am and you know, I, I easily confess, I'm, I don't know German hardly at all. I'm not, I'm not a German scholar. And it's kind of ironic that um, they, uh, the state, the library of Congress or whoever <laughs> categorized this book as like German literature or something. And I'm like, I, I asked <laughs> them to change it and they wouldn't change it. It's like, I you know what I mean? Like as if this was like a literary um, you know, oh tome, yeah, tome on German then, literature. Yeah, twentieth-century
0: like, history and criticism. Yeah,
1: that's where it's, yeah, yeah. it's going to be in the stacks. At, you know, at, the, at your local, uh, your local academic library. Anyway, um, so for me, so it wasn't wasn't like um, normal for me to see like nouns capitalized, right? Because I'm not German. Again, it's, it's not normal. Anyway, whatever. So when I saw Niemand and and then the translation, No one, um, it just you know it it conjured this figure and um When a, a, a German speaker friend of mine helped me translate the three lines, you know, we just we had a conversation about this years ago, just going back and forth all over all the associations of the lines. And I remember she said something very beautiful. She said like that it, it kind of translates as like no one who ever exists and who is present for that non-existence And she said nobody is there. And that, that's just that's kind of just lovely for me because I'm that's the kind of thing I'm interested in. I mean, I. I so I'm interested in this, um, no one who, who bears witness or gives witness, but but erodes its witness at the same time. Like, I, I'm personally not interested a lot in the poetry of witness or poetics of witness or or witnessing, like, because it's so loaded. <laughs> like, that's why I worked on this book for so long or thinking about it for so long, because I didn't want to do the same old book on, you know, Holocaust witnessing or Holocaust exceptionalism. I, I just, I, you know, I, I literally couldn't bear it. And um, so that's why the... The Waheli book was a really important turn for me into thinking about um, extreme su- subjection across across race, across culture, across class. Um, so, in terms of the translation, I do try to you know I touch on as much as I can in the book. I do I touch on it over and over again. Like I I used to have even more um, like when you got to the no one chapter like in the table of contents I I had it I think I had it like no one slash nobody slash no one noon the, you know slash and then with witness I put testifies right like I put all the different versions but I, you actually can't can't hold the different versions it's it's actually you know it's, it's literally untranslatable in, in some ways um and I, that's what I love I'm, I'm interested in things like that I'm interested in limit concepts I mean that, that's that's a, that's the key in, interest for me in witnessing as a, like I feel like it's like like my last uh, two books two books ago was about um uh Palestine Israel like a, it, was a, it was a book about that I wrote, and published in, in two thousand ten and the, the the sort of limit concept of that book was was was, was the neighbor so the so the notion of the neighbor as a kind of limit concept like like you you reach a a place where um you can't um you know hold all the different possibilities of it that's where I got into the third but anyway here I feel like witnessing like like sovereignty or forgiveness or you know I, so i 'm very much a deridian so it, it's like i'm I'm interested in these terms that that you know what i mean that 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 you can just keep unraveling, you can keep just deconstructing, and they will never give you a final a final answer. So, I don't have a, a final answer, and I and, and I take a lot of, um, uh, you know, what's the word? I I do a lot of iterations here, right? Because, like, for example, zoigt, which I'll do with a Yiddish accent, zoit, zoit. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, is. I you know in the bear chapter I, I, it's interesting that it's translated as bear witness in some translations right because then it's bearing and so then I, I took the kind of bearing like the, the which is different than fathering begetting right in the German mm-hmm. and and I you know again this book isn't really about salon like it is of course because I'm very influenced by salon but but no I I'm taking the zeug in, into bearing because that's where the translation I like I had to start from the translation because I'm an English speaker you know English. I mean, I know French, but I I don't know German. So, um, so the uh, so yeah, you see, like I I like that. I mean, you know, I bet I don't know. Maybe Salon would hate it if I if I uh, went into bearing and and the and the you know,
0: I think and, he would and, love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that you know that's and for me I I'm also along the Derrida lines with four. I think the four is the most interesting uh, word in that translation, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I I devoted you know chapter to sort of unpacking what what it means to speak in the place of, which is what so much of, wit- uh, you know, of, uh, you know, appropriative uh, practices have done or and, and, and witnessing is, is uh, poetic, so poetry of witnesses has, has been guilty of this a lot. So I wanted to undo that a little bit and think about speaking in the face of, but the person, you know, the figure doesn't have to have a, a, fa- a face, I, I, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, I'm thinking philosophically, but but that idea of just of being, of, of, what Andrea Geyer, the person who has translated this with me said like, you know, no one who's present for that existent, non Um Really. It just really spoke to me in terms of trying to think through the Muslim man. Like, have you ever been interested in the Muslim man as a figure? Like it's, it's a, it's like, there's not much written or there's more written about it now, but there wasn't when I started. And yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I've, I've read a lot about the Musulman figure. Um, and I mean, I, I'm, I'll confess, I'm a Derridian as well, um, and the there's the way he kind of deconstructs or like almost destroys Agamben's theory, like within one sentence, and I, I can't remember what book it's in, but it's in his critique of Homo soccer. and I think there's something so interesting that you can you can do with, um, I think the figure of the Muslim as it is brought out in. You know, in Levy or in Agamben, in the sense, and and you do it in your book of, you know, why the Muslim, why there's no there's no regard for how that term is being deployed. Um, in the sense, I mean, surely they they didn't have the same Islamophobia in 1940 that we experience now, but there's still an othering involved, and it, it's this. Odd moment of othering someone within a camp of all these others and how how that comes to be
1: um well I, th- I mean I think they had like islamophobia in the sense of from a colonial mindset right mm-hmm. the european white supremacist mindset of conquering the world right including the east mm-hmm. right? so that so and all beings um outside of the white world are lesser beings right so mm-hmm. so when the human, you know, which is again a figure I'm I'm not interested in. Like I that this the human is like the central figure of you know white European colonialism, um is uh undone, right? Destroyed in the camps, then the human becomes one of these less than human figures. Like I, I, I can see the logic for them, you know. Um, but it is—I don't—I just found it fascinating that in all the you know reams and thousands and thousands of tomes on the Holocaust and on on you know um, there's just there hasn't been very much about about the, it's just part of how, it's part of and you know a flaw in Jewish thought. So.
0: Yeah, it's there's a forgetting of of this figure who was forgotten
1: mm-hmm. or or who
0: someone who was kind of cast out of the the society of the camps and then there's there's a recasting out of that figure within critical
1: discourses um yeah i mean gomben is not jewish but he mm-hmm. he um you know he just undoes the Muslim man, um and i just really love the way welle o- beautifully like brings Muslim back as a as a as a figure who hungers and as a, as a, as a fleshly figure, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that, um, who's connected to other fleshly figures and, um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I want
0: to ask, I think in terms of the title of the book and the fact that we just read about Niemand, um, and, and, and kind of bringing in Agamben now, um, and Wahelier as well as all of these other figures, I mean, we can talk about the whole intertextuality of this book. Um, but how are you thinking of the term no one, um, especially against maybe this Agambenian, um, figure of the Musulman, um, as like the, the complete witness, how are, and I think also as a figure of negation, um, there is no one, um, you mentioned in the, in the, somewhere in the text, um, like english doesn't have this or it's not as immediately thinkable um in the sense that when you say no one we imagine this kind of there there's nothing there's nobody there um whereas in in german niemand can is a figure and in Ceylon's corpus you also have him directing speech towards niemand um that's a figure of god um in, in his poems in yeah. niemand's rosa um mm-hmm or when he says like, no one prays to you, or we pray to you, no one. Um, And in French, you have personne, which can mean person, or it can mean Mm -hmm. no one. So it has that kind of double valence. Um, So how are you thinking of no no one in relation to a kind of a negation or negativity, as well as a figure who witnesses? Yeah. um, I
1: mean, it's, for me, no one is like you know i guess i I have done a lot of thinking about negation and um I think of it again as a as a place of limit that that becomes threshold so for me a limit a limit concept become a is is isn't an end point it's like a a, a space for a threshold space for you know like a window like going like that you can go through it so um you know uh, it's hard to retell the whole. Look, but the yeah (laughs) the saying no to the to the one I mean I don't know maybe maybe I should get into the monster a bit like because like like the yeah I think that would be interesting
0: also in I forgot about this but also like the idea that it's it's not one um and you're bringing in Moten there and Da Silva and and maybe we can think of it as a plurality
1: yeah I mean that's I guess that's that's sort of the point of the book is to say no to the one, to say no mm-hmm. to the self, to say no to man, capital M man, and and the human. Um, it's a kind of project about abolition of, you know, it's just in a larger, larger sense, um, as you know, thought through Black Studies and Black Study in the in the Moten and Harney um, way that um, they theorize a kind of undercommon space. So. For me, the the you know, if you so it's like a it's a monstrous poetics, right? So no one's witness, a monstrous poetics. And it used to be, um the book used to be called A Language No One Speaks, A Dangerous Perhaps, A Monstrous Witness. And they thought it was too long, so I changed it. <laughs> um but I'm I guess I'm I've just always I've been interested in the notion of the dangerous perhaps, or the perhaps, at uh, the potetra. So potetra in French, potetra could be, maybe, by chance, you know. And um, that there's that there's so it's I guess I'm, I'm just really influenced by a kind of secular Jewish messianic thought, which is um, that, you know, I mean, I don't believe like, the Messiah may come. The Messiah might not come, but you better be ready. Um, but, you, you know, you're, what you do now um, uh, to prepare or to be. Like to just to 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 relate is is, is important. Um, and so um, for me, the the monster is this is this, and the no one is the monster, right? Is uh, is this you know this figure that's you know I guess if you think of monstrosity. It's like you know a heterog heterogeneous uh, a figure composed of heterogeneous parts, right? Like Frankenstein or whatever, you know, um, and an assemblage, right? And it's, it's not it's not an individuated one it's 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 an entangled social non-figure like just by nature right like the head could come from somewhere else the one arm could come from another being you know um and um so this this idea of this perhaps this dangerous perhaps this this way of thinking about new ways of, of becoming um um and you know if you think of the different roots of the monster like the monstrum the this kind of atrocity but also this marvel this this impossibility um this kind of you know uh perverted like i'm interested in perverted things like, you know um, i'm i'm a pervert you know um and uh but monster also includes like the warning and then you know monaria and it also includes you know it has a, a link to monster which is really important for my book like, to show you know to, to reveal something to point to show. Um, rather than to tell like if you want to think about in terms of standard creative writing class show not tell but um and men the uh, you know indo-european to think with so this figure is like is is all of these things for me and and i you know i even go to demonstrate the demon who monstrates and um and so you know there's there's different people who have written about different things you know related to this that are that are that i that i gather together in my assemblage and of course like you know my gathering together is my making right it's not um that's how i'm showing you know like benjamin a bit how he how Mm -hmm. like the arcades project is like you know rag picking collecting you know i I just need to show you know i I bring together like a montage so you know benjamin sorry walter benjamin he um you know he talked about the monster as an unmensch like an unman and I didn't, I only touch on this because it's not that interesting to me. But it, but like in, in you know in one of his essays, he, his, the famous angel of history is actually a you know monstrous. It's like mm-hmm. a cannibal angel. You know, it's like these figures can change, and and um, that's partly part why I was interested in Sylvia Winter's demonic ground. Like again, demon is linked to the demonstration and this refusal of standpoint. This this refusal of <laughs> you know as Sexton J. Sexton says like. About you know a kind of ablation space um, as like there's no ground for identity there's there's no ground to stand on and and molten s- says a lot of beautiful things about not standing but falling and 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 you know undoing the notion of standpoint which is for me I, okay I'm a real associative thinker so I could be completely wrong I could be totally misinterpreting some of the stuff I'm reading but I don't care I, I'm a reader and I'm making associative leaps so for me um, it's like you know the sexton it's like no you know uh, no claim you know it's not, he talks about selfless landless existence he's like no argument um and i'm really interested in that like it's undo it does undoes so much of what we're taught in academic circles and you know this whole idea of, the, of that you have one a singular argument and, then you can, and you're going to prove it um so I say no to that, and there's there's all sorts of no's, you know. I I spent a whole chapter just on no, even though no isn't a word in the it's neither in the salon or in the translation, right? It is in that I just I interpret it as a word because no one in English is often spelled with the space between it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I have a whole chapter to the space between no and one. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's there's no space in niman. You know, so it's just that's just kind of I don't know if I answered your question, but.
0: Go your happy price, priceline. Um, and I, I think that one of the something that was so important, you you quote um Derrida. I I wish I remembered what it's like from one of those readings that's I think not one of his most famous ones. Um, or I don't know, he just has so many, but he, he talks about you how you cannot say here, this is our monster, you can't announce them without turning them into pets. And I think right. um something that that gets towards which i i want to drift towards in our conversation is kind of the in innameability or unnameability or or you unspeakability of the monster and i think as you've said and what's so apparent in your book is kind of where language is at a limit in terms of witnessing and and where where you kind of have to screw it up in order to make it do anything at all um I mean, like Alfred Jelinek, um, who's a who's a, a German writer or an Austrian writer writing in the German language. She she talks about how in order to like, in order to make language tell the truth, you have to torture it. And I think that's something that that Ceylan is doing to the German language. Um, it has to pass through what he says in the Meridian speech. It has to pass through the thousand darknesses of, of death bringing or a thousand darknesses of death bringing night. Um, and and there's something else going on with that you engage with in in the black studies and the black theory scholarship that you're writing about, especially with um, like um, Sadia Hartman and the scream of um, Frederick Douglass's aunt. Um, I think I, I want to just ask you about what you think, how you're thinking about these limits and like what's the beyond the language and how that kind of testifies in a way that can't or testifies or witnesses or whatever word we want to use What's the bearing witness in that?
1: Yeah, that's a really complex question. It, it's it's about like you know going beyond. Um, I was going to say the ocular in some ways, but it's it, it you know it because so much witnessing is often about what you see, right? What mm-hmm. You what you experience, yeah. But um, you know, Fred Moten is been really important for me in thinking about listening as a, as a practice um, and his writing on, um, you know, like Abby Lincoln's scream and in, in, you know, in a, in a particular piece as, um, as a form of knowledge. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the right word I'm not going to say, I don't want to say a particular word because it's not like not, you know, because I want to undo knowledge too, but like, it, you know, it's kind of, um, it's actually, this is almost impossible for me to talk about because it is something that I go back to over and over again in the book, and I don't have an answer for and I don't have a claim for other than I'm I, I, I am against what Agamben says that the Muslim men, because they are um, on the verge of death, um, cannot speak. You know, I just, and in fact, he undoes it himself uh, at the end of the book of Remnants of Auschwitz, where the, the Muslim men. Speak and they say, You know, I was a Muslim man. There's a, there's a few instances of that, and well, he talks about this a bit too. Um, so he kind of undoes himself. I don't, I, anyway, I, I'm i not interested sure in like going Yeah, going I mean, I think that, that's but...
0: that's a good point in the sense yeah. that I think that it, it comes with a very strict notion of what speaking is, um, yeah.
1: And so, I guess, yeah, that's that's part of the reason why I went into sort of some things around performativity and non performance, which again was I'm mean, influenced you know, whatever, right? like Butler and Austin or whatever, but then also by, by Fred, how he 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 you know, wrote a um just a very important essay about blackness blackness as non performance and but that so so you know I do theorize in the book about that no one bears by saying no one bears witness for the witness, there is a performative aspect, right? That no one like and I at one point I compared it to like Glenn Ligon's study for studies for Frankenstein paintings where where you know he's got a line from Frankenstein. You know, I I, um, I can't remember the exact words, but I you know that I I basically that the figure wanted to speak, but 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 couldn't. You know, um, mm-hmm. but by saying that I want to speak, but can't. You're speaking, right? You know what I mean. So that that's that's the kind of. So sometimes I wish to express my sensations in my own mode, but the uncouth and inarticulate sounds which broke from me frightened me into silence again. So that's the line from. The, the book Frankenstein that Ligon mm-hmm. is quoting and the study for Frankenstein. And that's a, that's a, that I, I put that against no one bears witness witness. If you compare those two, right? um By, and also of course the Ligon painting itself by eroding itself is eroding its own witness, right? Through the the black, um uh, oh, what's he using? The oil stick, sorry, the oil stick getting, you know more and more congealed as the painting goes on and it, just the same line repeats. Um, it, it, it erodes its witnessing, right? Um that 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 uh no one does that. N- that, that. That line. No one bears witness for the witness, in my mind, the way I think um it 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 ends up bearing witness for it ends up bearing witness even though it can't bear witness. It's an im slash possibility, right? Um that that uh, and it might just not be in- intelligible. It might not be intelligible in the ways that you are taught, you know, that we are taught mm-hmm. intelligibility is. And so, you know, Hartman, um, I don't know how much she goes into the scream in Jesus' Jackson, but in the, when she talks about the, the Douglas, the jargon and nonsense, the, the songs of enslaved people and how the jargon, quote unquote jargon and nonsense actually speaks, um, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not simply that these are coded language, it's not like it's coded language, it's just that it's, it's, it's thinking through different ways, um, that language, uh, enacts itself, um, uh, bears something, you know, like makes something as it, that, 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 you know, that it is, that is poetic in that, in that sense of how poesis. Is, for me, the poetic is something that disrupts something, Is something that's perverted, something that, that, you know, like, you know, like, I don't know, that's why I'm interested in, like, yet side, like, the, these moments that jump up and grab you by the throat, and, and and you're forced to rethink things, so.
0: Yeah, I I I definitely, I get that interest. It's, there's so many really good examples that you draw throughout your book, and I think one of my favorite ones that I think, I don't know, I think everybody should read it just because it's such a good experiment, um, of Phillips' song, which is it's so good um I don't know if you want if you want to explain the the conceit of the text um, because I think it it kind of gets at what you're talking about um, and I think something that I'm thinking of and especially in my own research is you know like Yoko Ono says the destruction of art is also art um, but the destruction of language is also language or or and maybe poetry I mean I don't want to be someone who says like I don't really always think you can say like, this is poetry and this is not. Um, but I also think, you know, maybe I do want to have some kind of aesthetic standards and say like good poetry or like really good poetry to enact some kind of destruction or warping of language. And that's really what we're seeing in Philippe's text, Zong, as well as in Ceylon, as well as in a lot of um, like, like what Hartman's doing with critical fabulation.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. So you want to meet it. Yeah, if you would just say
0: something about Zong and 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 the conceit of the text, um, and how how it operates, and how you are seeing it, um, in relation to these these questions.
1: Yeah, so Zong is a book that is is kind of like an exploded book made from um the 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 words within a two page um, legal document that one of the only existing um uh, legal um, decisions. Of course, indecision there has that Derridian notion of the cut that tears the wound um, uh, on uh, a uh, you know a insurance claim based on the throwing overboard of uh, at least 150 enslaved people from from the ship the Zong called Zong um, in 1781, and so you know the people who owned the slave, the enslaved people, um, sorry, and the ship, right? It's all about ownership. Um, it, it was an insurance claim. So one party thought that the other party owned all uh, the money. And, uh, it's, you know, a disgusting piece of a thousand words or, or whatever it is, um, in its dry legalese, um, about people's lives. And, you know, Norpe say, uh, you know, basically explodes this text sheet, she takes uh, all the words and she creates she creates other words from the words. First, she started out just using the words as is and started making poems. And the first uh, movement of the book is is pretty much that of just like some of the words in it. Like lots of words are repeating like the and stuff like that. Um, and then she does a really interesting kind of, I don't know, boggle maneuver where she does words within words and creates she conjures um, new words and new and new things through this, through the through these new new configurations of letters that she creates. Um, and there's a there's a in, in, intensely spiritual quality to this. Of, of, there's a conjuring of of the of the bodies that are you know on the ocean floor um, up from this ship and. Um, the book itself it's hard to explain over audio is just is excluded something you have to see (laughs)
0: it's
1: an open open field and there's there's a wave section where you can sort of see a wave and there's just another section that's kind of like winds and uh, lots of water of course she talks about as xx aqua this possibility of, of of pulling the bodies up from the ocean which is you know impossible but she does a naming of 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 certain names at the bottom of the, of the text. And, and the, the, anyway, there's been a lot written about this book. It's, it's a book that's um, going to, you know, survive uh, history. And I I just focused on one page, which was this, a section, of, I focused on the last page of the of the mm-hmm. book, um, which was a printing error. She, she deems it a printing error where um, uh, several pages got, Layered on each other, and I, I, that's why I, I was interesting and interested in, in that as in relation to trans translation. So um, again, my associative of mine, so from, and and my like interest in etymology or whatever, but tra- you know, translate means to carry across, to bear across, and so you know, this works for my bears ch- chapter, yeah. and um, it's about the impossibility of of translation and and. And reading and what, what's possible and it's something that I'm that I've um, always been interested in. Like in my last book, uh, Janie's Arcadia*, uh, there, there, I made I, I make work. Uh, I guess you know, Nervais is a friend of mine, and and, and and anyway, we have some similar practices of um, making some work from. I make almost all my work from from existing texts, and um, I was making this book about settler colonialism and uh and I looked and I was focusing on the area of Canada where my family you know came to immigrated to and um so I was using a lot of old texts like like books like I was using like these purple prose books about white women settlers and anyway in order to work with the text like just practically uh you know as a pdf and I had to copy and paste text from it and I'm what happens is because of o c r because op- op- optical character recognition software is used to do that <laughs> it scrambles it up yeah and, and and especially if it's like an old book and there's like dirt or food or snot or something on the book it 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 like screws up the words so when you when I would copy and paste it, I'd get all this like junk language and or seemingly junk language or this these like it kind of look like you know how you would write a swear word you know with like different um diacritical marks and different um yeah <laughs> you know, you know punctuate yeah so uh, and it's so interesting, it's called optical character recognition because I was um I was taught this a theme in the book was was undoing the politics of recognition and uh anyway. But so there's this like recognition that so the form has to fit the content. That's what I was gonna say earlier when we were talking about form, but anyway. Um so for me I I love I love these languages. Like I love numbers too. I have another book where I use numbers in the in the language I, I was using like a grammatria, you know, Jewish mystical thing, but like a like a fake one, but um, uh, so there's numbers and letters. So I would, when I would do a reading, I would, I would try to pronounce this. Like I would, I would try to pronounce these strings of words, uh, unpronounceable things. So I, but, um, and, but what, what happened was it would, it would totally like freak the audience out, right? They it would, they would wake up, you know, they would listen, yeah, you know what I, I mean? I can imagine. And, I, <laughs> and, I, and I'd be like, you know, you know, French quotes, uh, exclamation mark, da, 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 you know, and and then I, and I, you know, you pronounce these half words, and but for me, it was a kind of conjuring. It was a conjuring of some of the, um, some of the horror at, at the, at the um, root of the, you know, of the project I was working on, which was acknowledging like missing and, and murdered indigenous, the, the, you know, the catastrophe of missing and murdered indigenous women and children in Canada, and you know, it, it and and settler responsibility for that. It was like. you you find ways to use form to to make something happen that's why i'm interested in the poise and poise that's what the poetic can do and and norpeze does that brilliantly in the book and so yeah i concentrate on this last page which is basically unreadable because but i'm interested in the unreadable i'm interested in what it bears
0: yeah i think something that i'm interested in is is that is when you're reading um and I, i think i had to read zong for a class and there's when you get to that last page, as well as a lot of the pages before, um, you don't really realize like how much of poetic reading, especially is like choices that you make and decisions. Um, And when you get to that last page and you're struck with these words, you you still have to read them. So you have to make all these like grammatical and lexicographical decisions in that moment. And I mean, decision, such a Derridian term, but you have to say like, I'm this is what I'm choosing to read. Um, and and what comes out loud, what what doesn't, what should I say? And I think you you talk a, a little bit about the exclamation point at the end of the title um in Philip's text. And and like, do I say, is it like zong, or is it zong exclamation point? Um and it was it was it conjured up this this great essay that I, I read by Aris Fiorados on on Paul Ceylon. He has a a poem called Eng in which, um, what are they called? Asterisks are a huge part, and he asks, like, do, you, what do you do with the asterisk? How, what, what am I supposed to do? Do I pause longer? Do I say asterisk out loud? And I, I think, what it it really does is say that there's, there's something in the in the poetry that that takes you over as a reader and forces you to come to a decision and to look at the text, um, and I think that's a big part of. Of testimony and, and witness, um, of, and, tra- I
1: mean, and translation too, right? Yeah. Like the choice, like in the Z- in zong, you have to also make a choice whether or not you read left to right, or up and down, or diagonal, and you and you have to decide to like let that go. And so you're let going linearity, you're let going of history, like the yeah. you know, the, the notions of history. I, I do, I believe in this stuff. I believe that if you if you can read that page, and, and and you know, I I always teach zong and. And we do collective readings of it, and 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 you know if you can um, if you can if the if if you can embody that if you can embody that undoing of um, linearity something something can shift. I mean, yeah. I, I I I'm not saying you know, I'm not saying it it creates revolution. <laughs> I'm saying that the, that 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 is the one that is one thing that that artwork can do is is to is to. Shift, shift the molecules in your brain a bit so that it, that that it might if it shifts your perspective it, it can shift other things too it can shift the way you relate
0: yeah I mean I don't know if this is I don't i you're here with me so I can ask you uh but there's uh not to put too much into the authorial intentional fallacy yeah. but the, the idea of of not one like just the act of reading I mean there's a whole lineage of of thought that's you know and sometimes i'm i mean I'm a grad student who did zoom classes for a whole year, so it was it was very much like reading is a solitary thing. You sit by yourself and you read a book, but in another sense you when especially when you read poetry and in, in kind of this um this genre if i i don't want to c- encapsulate it all within a genre, but there's something going on here it you aren't one there's a ho- there's a text that kind of set that has its own authority that has its own um I I guess I would say like resonance or power that says like I'm giving you myself and then you have to meet me somewhere and where you meet me is a decision on your own um so there's a there's a not oneness or a no oneness to just the act of reading poetry in general
1: yeah and and even like you can think of simple ways people have thought about this of like you know that the that the reader becomes a producer of meaning rather than a consumer. So it kind of undo, undoes capitalist notions of you know that you're this book is serving you, you yeah, know, and you're and you're you're consuming it. So that could be very difficult for for readers. They want they don't they don't want to have to produce meaning, right? A lot of pe- most people don't want to. Um, they want the poem, and so much of poetry is about producing very linear meanings, like with you know like 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 the bulk of poetry is so there there are lots of other poetries that um that do that and and that's why i'm also interested in like poetics work so i call you know i call the book a poem but it's it's a book of poetics and poetics itself is something that undoes categories right it undoes what is poetics you know it's not aristotle it's it's something else it's 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 like something that brings philosophy and poetry together and and you know fucks with it all and and people have you know people really react people can really react to they get angry when they don't understand something and like you know i just keep thinking like I, you think of like um Edouard edward on like you know on the right to opacity and, and he talks about that as like knowledge or, or comprehension right in french right in french comprendre is, is to take you know to take yeah. for yourself which is all part of this you know, this is this capitalist, white supremacist, Eurocentric notion of what, you know, how we're supposed to make it in the world, right? How we're supposed to make it, what our journey is supposed to be, and where we're supposed to end up, and, you know, and how successful we're, so, you know, all these ideas. I wonder, you know, so many people like like Harney and Moten and, you know, lots of people, Farah Silva on the plenum and like her notion of the plenum. So, like, you know, it's, it's uh, even Hartman on the chorus as like, thinking of other ways of being and being together other ways of being together that um, other socialities, other, other senses of time too. That's what yeah. I'm
0: interested yeah. in. So, yeah. Um, well, I, I, you, you bring up a word, you said the word revolution and, and that, that caught yeah. my eye, that, well, it didn't catch my eye. It caught my ear. Yeah. Um, but I, in the book you say that, um, poet or, there is no revolution of poetic language. And, and I, I'm wondering there if there's a, a slight nod to Kristeva. Um,
1: <laughs> it, was, it was just a pun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, uh, there's no revolution of poetic language that can only happen on the street. Poetry is not enough. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, in relation to maybe this notion of poethics um, that you bring up, um, what is, how is poetry or how are you thinking of poetry in relation to revolution? If it's, if it's not enough, um, does it get us towards there? Like, um, what's, what's the kind of the topology or the relationship or constellation that you're thinking of in this sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, I literally was just punning a bit on the, on Chris Davis title, but, um, and I was just, I mean, I just had done a a little rant on Heidegger that I I could have easily just (laughs) cut from the whole book and it would have been fine. So it was just I just can't stand the way that poetry is seen as this exalted language. I I don't believe in any exalted language. So. um, So, yeah, and uh, I mean, I don't know, like, so, okay. I already just talked a little bit about revolution. I mean, I do believe that if we change, we, we do change our molecules, if All enough of us change our molecules, there will be forms of revolution that happen, like a kind of commons, you know, that we'll, we'll change our relating to each other, that, you know, that, um, you know, change our ways of, of supremacy, right? This idea that I'm more smart than you are, or, you know, you're better than I, you know, all the, bullshit that happens every day and all, you know, how power flows every day. Right. Um, now, um, and I also believe that these other worlds are are already exist. So it's not like there's, it's, it's just, you know, like we're at the end of the world now, but we're ended, we're at the end of this particular end of the world. And, um, and, you know, it's kind of like, I, I, I totally agree with you. Like I'm, Ever since the beginning, I started writing. I've always believed in creative destruction. That, that's sort of that's just I've always written about. That's just like yeah. So we're so it's this constant process of um, negativity. You can say mm-hmm. um, we could get into Wilder, Wilderson if we want, but anyway, I don't. I, I just you know you talked about asked about poetics. So for me, I just it was just really fascinating to me that so I, so Joan Ritalik, who came up with that term poetics, is it's from my world, <laughs> the world of experimental poetics, poetry, just, you know, she's a, a lovely, brilliant, you know, poor person, like elder in, in my world. And um, her notion of po- poetics has been very influential for lots of people um, for me. And, and I was just really fascinated that, that Denise Ferrar da Silva um, took the term and, and, um, is, is 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 taking her own spin on it and so they're both influenced by um chaos theory and quantum physics and uh trying to think of a, like a complex realism and um so for me though i don't it, i don't know if you notice i don't get into it too much in the book because i'm so against ethics <laughs> as a term and against levinasian ethics. so it's like <laughs> i have like a aversion to the term itself ethics so you know what i'm saying so it's not like um, I, I'm just making these associative links. I, I, I think it's great. Like how um, I love, I love what, what both Vitalik and de Silva are doing. Um, and I guess, you know, I'm sort of sliding away from what you're asking about witnessing. Cause if you notice, like I don't have a particular like thing about witnessing. Like I don't, I don't have like, like, as I said at the very beginning of the book, it's like, yeah, I'm not that interested. <laughs> I keep saying that I'm not that interested. Sorry. I'm being very negative, but um, that, you know, that, I don't want to rehash the boring poetry of witness it, it, but I was interested in how the witness as a figure uh, was taken up. Right. And, but you know, whatever I'm doing on common, but you know, or I like, I love how Nate he talks about, you know, um, uh, you know, eroding witness so that you can, it, it's a poem, the poet is, or the poem is witnessing and eroding witness at the same time, which is, well, this is creative destruction? We're already, we've already been t- talking about. So that's, that's what I'm in, I'm interested in. Um, I don't have. I'm sorry to say. I'm sorry. I don't have a, poet, a poetics of witnessing. I don't have a poetics of witnessing. I I was in my um, PhD defense. Uh, one of the examiners asked me, like, you know, what is what is Rachel Zolf's poetics? <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, I I don't have a poetic. Like, I don't. I can't answer those questions. I don't. I think I'm like constitutionally unable, and it made me sound like. An, a weirdo but i don't know what, what like i i'm bringing together certain artists and writers in this book and um and they speak to what i'm you know the different ideas that i'm bringing to the floor but i wouldn't say that like these writers and particularly because i write against some of them like it, you know, it, these aren't my poetics and i, and I wouldn't have I, if you ask me what my poetics is in terms of, as a poet i don't what am i going to say i don't know like <laughs> do you know what i mean like yeah I mean, I, I'm interested in like these ideas limit concepts. That's one thing. That's one way of talking about it, but it's only one thing. Like I, I, I already talked about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't need to say it again. It's not that interesting.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's I think there's there's a section in your book. Um, I don't know, I or a sentence or whatever. I and I I. I just eat it up whenever someone is like this is an essay and then reminds me that you know, essay means to try. Um, and you, you say this, I'm, I love that. I, anytime someone goes back to Montaigne and is like this is, a, this is just an attempt, um, I love that. And I love what you, you went even a little further and said that your text is kind of aware of its own failure or is wearing it on its sleeve or is, is I guess in a sense, bears witness to its own failure um and i think you know the the failure of witnessing is always caught up in the poss in witnessing the possibility is guaranteed by the impossibility of something
1: um mm.
0: and i think that maybe that is something that goes throughout the book this this idea that there's not something concrete if if it was there then it it might not even it might not show up if it was too concrete if it was too um visible um and i think you know what, what? It's similar to like what Hartman's doing in, in critical fabulation um, in Venus and Two Acts, where she's talking about like making something up out of out of the violences of history that leave Venus um, the slave girl out. Um, it, it involves a different type of listening. Your your poetics involves a different type of writing or a different type of reading, um, and I think that that's something that goes along with the rest of the the poetry or the text that you're going into or reading in in your book. Mm. That's oh, nice. Um, yeah. I don't know. I I liked. It. I don't know. I was just complimenting you for for a moment. Um, but it, it is so. It is so important. This kind of the style that you can kind of draw out of. I don't know. Of maybe listening yeah. into the lacune of history. Of of seeing something that that's not there. Of seeing something in its absence. Of seeing the no one. Of inviting it to presence without kind of. I don't. I don't want to say metaphysics of presence because. How could I even explain that in a podcast? Um, but some th- of the violence of presence and and how to undo that and how to go against that and maybe see something in its not being there.
1: Yeah, and that's linked to what I said earlier around like not making a claim or the you know the sexton on the landless you know selfless landless existence. Um, I it, it's frustrating. I'm I got like, like I even my instinct when you wanted to do the interview and I was like uh, okay I, I don't know what to say because I don't want to. I'd rather just hear what you had to say because I, I, you know, I wrote, I don't want to explain. I don't want to explain what the book, like, I, I I just want you to read it and you know, you get what you, you get what you get out of it. And you might hate, hate part of it. You might, there might be just one little half of a sentence that takes you somewhere new. And that's exciting for me, you know? And I think that, Um, well,
0: that's the whole form of the title. I mean, it's, that's the title. Um, and I will say, uh, I mean, maybe I, I'll explain the text to everyone, to the listeners, but it's, um, I felt so like um, seen almost to use that kind of language of how many quotation marks are just in this text. It's it's great. The whole idea, it's, it's an assemblage. It's, um, I mean, you talk about it all. Let me find the quote um, where you say that um, it being no one's witness enacts a monstrous assemblage composed of heterogeneous strands of thinking that brings into opposition concepts methodologies from black studies and black study 20th century european philosophy queer theory experimental poetics um i know i love it's just you have so many of your own words but so many of other other people's words and i think that's one of the more beautiful parts of the text in the sense that it's it's a collection in the in that benjaminian sense and i i, I think i want to i want to ask you a question of you, you write that something happens um, when all of these people are brought together. Um, can you say more about what that something is? Maybe I think it's the experimentality or the essay quality of this.
1: Yeah. When we were speaking before, you mentioned um, that it was, you know, that it was you know, a term that I used de- dehiscence and, and you, and you said cohabitation and, um, and I use that term dehiscence and on purpose. Um, as a term that Moten uses and it, it describes a, a, you know, a wound that is sewn up, but, but that is still, that the wound is still weeping through uh, like the sewn together parts. And another way of thinking of dehiscence is like when a seed pod bursts open, there's a, there's a bursting that happens. And I'm, I'm, I'm just really interested in these, these like points of contact and seepage and wound, um, and so I've like I mentioned already earlier that I make I make my last few books from other texts and so I, but I guess the, the, the I've been really influenced. It's kind of whatever. It's just funny in a way. But I've always been interested in like Russian formalist filmmaking, like mont like the notion of the montage shock effect, um, which in some classic you know early nineteen uh, you know twenty twenties films. Um, an example would be like you know, so the montage like it's like the jump cut this notion of the jump cut it's like a very harsh cut in film um, so you'd have like a crowd scene on the a, a revolution on the on the steps of, you know on the street and then it would cut to like a domestic scene of a, a woman in the kitchen with a knife or whatever and then like back, back back, like it's like the shock effect of these these images like being layered upon each other um, these disparate images and. Um, so, and in you know, in natural formalism, it's like a specific political method to wake people up. Like it's a specific, like, that's what it was used for. Um, and so I, you know, I, and so, I, and if you think of montage, it's actually, well, in film, it's 2, 2D, right? There's, it's like a, mm-hmm. even though it has it, it, projected, it's, it becomes, well, it's, yeah, it's still 2D, two dimensional. Um, so I, I, over the years, I, I switched a bit more to a sense of assemblage. So assemblage, you um, has lots of meanings but anyway just in this particular meaning it's like more of a 3d thing like you know if you have like a painting with like you know you you, you stick a piece of newspaper on it and something else sticking out of it then it's kind of an assemblage. just comes into the it comes into space through so 3d space um so for me like yeah there's in my uh yeah, particularly in my last two books that other than this this and including this one away but there there was like literally in my last two books there was like hardly any language from me me my belly in it. It was, it was all in the, all the languages is assembled, you know, from other sources, from research sources. Um, but the putting together is me is my voice. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't just in my own practice. I don't, um, I guess it's like you could call it eco poetic or whatever. i have never really thought of it that way, but it's like, I don't, I don't need to make new language. Like I, There's so much language already out there. So, um, and, and I have a kind of deconstructive practice, and um, I'm interested in the document. And anyway, it's just my method of writing. And I love how Freire de Silva talks about um, a kind of fractal thinking, which is kind of a four-dimensional thinking. Um, and again, so I anyway, that, that idea really in- influenced me. Um, and so if the di- different thinkers are placed side by side, so I say literally something, something, like a something, a thing, Right, the thing, you know, you must know about the thing of dusting, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Like the the this monstrous possibility of you know this strange zug, this thing in the in the, in the other space, um, uh, you know, something new, a, a new something new can happen. Um, you know, again, the molecules, of your brain can change, and like this new monstrous thing can emerge. It can show itself, right? Um, you know. It's like on the simplest level, it'd be like, oh, I never thought of how what that person says relates to what that person said. You know what I mean? Like, like even if they use like one word that's similar, you know? Um, yeah. And I, again, I along what we we're talking about about cohabitation, it, it gives the reader more agency to create connections too. You know, like if I and I, you know, I've gotten flack about this because I I, 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 like that. Uh-huh. Like often, often I will like I'll you know I'll I'll layer the quotes right and and I got flack that I'm not like making any connection between them it's like like a, uh, that it was like an undergrad essay you know like you know I, I, you know you know whatever that's just a bit insulting like i i'm doing this deliberately i'm literally like leaving you to to work with those scenes and how bloody they are you know um yeah so it's part of the monstrosity of my process and that's why it's called like a monstrous poetics you know it's, it's a process it's a the book is so much about process and it it has its own. It's like its own. It's a machine creating its own other little machines as it as it goes along. Um, you know, it's so it's like it's like showing, over saying, like what, said, what we said about benjamin the rag picking, um, or Deleuze talks about irrational cuts, and you know, it's something that I've talked about a lot in terms of my poetry. Uh, I I used to talk about like mad affects, like generating kind of ungovernable affects in the reader, like it, it's through uh, in the reading or listening experience, and and so. This this, book's no different than, um, yeah, like in in terms of cohabitation, I find it impossible to categorize the book beyond just calling it like poetics. Um, it's like, you know, it's it's like, it has a particular meaning for me of this kind of weird thinking poets can do. Right. But for the purposes of marketing a book with an academic press, I had to name these disciplines, right. You you know, that's what we're is all these disciplines, but I, I don't even believe in these disciplines. I'm sorry. So, so I, you know, as a separate, like for me, they're all linked. So, or they're yeah. all poetic. They're all poetics for me. Yeah. So my whole practice, like, you know, is about queering form and gen genre. That's, that's really my, my whole practice is about that. And even designation, right. Even the name I'm against the proper and, you know, just like Derrida. And, and I'm inviting the reader to do, to do the same. Yeah. Well, I,
0: I can say as a reader, I was thinking, um, it's it's like a Mallarméan almost project in the sense that um, from Day, uh like the nothing took place except perhaps a constellation um, and maybe we can maybe we can tweak it a little I don't know may, there are so many different ways I'm, I'm thinking immediately but like there's there's the there's something took place except perhaps a constellation or like no one took place except perhaps a constellation or nothing took mm-hmm. place except perhaps something um, and I think. Yeah, sure. It's a really, it's a really, I don't. It is a, it's a resonant. It's, it's a powerful way to kind of present these, these texts together and not always make a connection. Um, And it's to do something that that forces the reader. um, We're talking about the text having agency. I think this is one of the ways that your text brings that authoritative power to say, you make a decision now. It's, it's, it's not always um, me telling you. and I think this is something that Foucault did uh, where he, 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 in an interview, he was like, I'm not a philosopher. Um, I'm not going to tell you what to do. And and so what uh, what is he, um, something Lynn Huffer in, in a new book talks about it. He's a poet. He just, he's presenting you. He's offering a new possibility of, of being in
1: the world. Um, and, it, and it undoes the notion of authority that you brought up a couple of times, right? Like the author, the author mm-hmm. has, a, has a root in witnessing to but mm-hmm. but it's not, yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm a maker. I'm I'm not I'm not an authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, as a maker,
0: um, I think I have a, a a final question, which is, um, what are you thinking about now? Um, if you're thinking about anything at all.
1: <sighs> oh, um, well, I, I, right at the very beginning of the pandemic, March fourth, uh, our ba- our baby arrived, and so, um. Baby. Uh, March 4th, 2020, so i has been all baby all the time for the <laughs> past 18 months, um, and also getting this book out that was just really hard to do um, with the baby around, so I, I've been a bit baby brain dead. I was also and getting out a book of uh, reissue, my friend Akila Oliver's first book, she said Dialogues, Flesh Memory, and that also came out last year, and so I am a little brain dead, but I, I have been, um, thinking a bit about like, you know, I do, I do feel like this book, even though it's not, not very obvious, but it is a culmination of my, my, my thinking for a long time. And, and so with the, with, with it, um, I, I, uh, after it, I've, I've, I've gone back to some of my, you know, really my influential first, first people I read, like, um, so I'm I'm you know uh, you know I'm secular and all that, but I'm just really influenced by Jewish thought. I'm just it's just like and what whatever that means, it's kinda of like what what does black thought mean, right? Um Jewish thought is so broad. Um but um there's a lot of a lot of writing uh on the limit, on the on the notion of the limit. Anyway, um I've gone back to like Edmond, Edmond Jabez's book, the book of questions was a, it was, was, was a, very so yeah very uh,
0: inform,
1: formative book for me. And, um, and I'm doing a kind of radical translation procedure on it and thinking about how, I guess, you know, cause like I say that no one's Witness, you know, I'm bringing together um, the Nazi Holocaust and yeah, you know, the other ongoing disasters of this world, like or a couple others, like transatlantic slavery, it's afterlives and, you know, ongoing colonialism and um, I'm just, and through this radical translation procedure, just thinking of how to um, bring that disaster that he's writing about in conversation with these other disasters. And one of the ways I'm doing it is through, through language, through other, other languages um, than French or English. And So I started working on that. But I that sounds en- so interesting. Any energy on it? <laughs> Sorry to say.
0: Well, I hope you get some that I, I love Chavez. Um, yeah. com- underrated. I I, I think I, I don't know. I've given out a copy of the book of questions to to many different people. Yeah. Um, and then always been like, give it back. You have to give it back because I have to reloan it out to the next person <laughs> that I'm, that I'm telling it about. Yeah. Um, but I, I look forward to that whenever it comes. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking today. Um, this was such an interesting conversation and I, I think it's given a lot to me to think about as well as hopefully to our listeners. Um, and I, I will have to return to the book and return to everything I've read and, and think more about it.
1: Thanks so much, Britt. You brought, you brought lots of great questions.
0: <laughs> so once again, um, this was Rachel Zolf talking about their new book, um, No One's Witness, A Monstrous Poetics, which is out through Duke University Press. Um, thank you for listening. I'm Britt Edelin, your host for the New Books Network, um, the channel in literary studies. Until next time.